Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action. And welcome to another week from Wisconsin. It's sunny today, but don't worry, it'll be snowing tomorrow. Uh, we have our full panel, which uh, means that Robert Craig is with us. Robert's the Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Welcome, Robert. Good day, everyone. Uh, Rebecca Lynch is not with us from the Wisconsin Working Family. She is still on vacation. We hope Rebecca is enjoying her vacation. But we have a full panel here today because we have a guest panelist. We are really fortunate and happy to welcome uh, to our show Emily Segrist. Emily, welcome. Thank you. For folks who don't know, Emily is a Citizen Action co-op member, her healthcare organizing co-op here, and also ran for state assembly in 2018. And um, so we're really happy to have her as a guest. And Emily, um, you're here too because you have news as it relates to looking forward in 2020. Am I, am I correct? You are correct. <laughs> uh, I'm actually going to run again um, for state assembly, the same position I ran for last cycle, um, against the same individual who is currently my state representative, Dan Canodal. Well, that's very exciting. And uh, for folks who didn't know, uh, this seat that Emily runs in, it's a suburban Milwaukee area seat that um, has little parts of the city of Milwaukee, but is mostly a lot of Mequon and uh, Washington County parts like uh, Germantown, very, and some Menominee Falls, a district. And am I right here, a little brown deer? Yes, little I have brown all deer. Brown little deer. Glendale, northern Glendale? Yes, yes. Yep. And River Hills, of course. Yes. So it is one of the classic gerrymandered seats. It's an interesting district. Yep, it was created to be a solidly Republican seat, but a lot of changes have happened since that district was created that um, are making the Milwaukee suburbs more Republican, in particular in 2018 under Trump. More Democrat. Excuse mean? me, more Democratic. Excuse me. <laughs> please, <laughs> what am I saying? Please. Less Republican. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying here. Um, and, and definitely trending Democratic. But even, even with that, Emily, you really did amazingly well uh, in your last assembly run. So I, I think a lot of folks are very excited to hear you're running again. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I jumped in the race. I think I filed around December or January um, uh, 2017, 2018, and uh, worked really hard to try to make some change. He had not had an opponent for the last couple cycles. Um, and the individual that ran the third previous cycle didn't fare that right. well. Um, and so I, I made some leaps and bounds in that area. I got 46%. And I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, you know, when you look at Germantown, that's a tough district. Um, I did well in Menominee Falls. Um, Mequon, I have some room to to do, to work on. But, um, you know, I fared better than Governor Evers in some areas. So I had split tickets. Some people who voted for Scott Walker and went down ticket and then voted for me. So um, I think that says a lot about the work I did in the district, which was just boots on the ground. It was a very grassroots type of campaign. I mean, you know, Matt, because you were out there doing doors for me. I mean, it was the work that we put into it that really showed um, the 46%. Yeah, you you were one of the candidates who was posting on Facebook every day. You basically went out for how many consecutive days? Uh, 75. 75 consecutive days, which is really impressive. So, may, may not sound like a lot to somebody, but man, when you go out, uh, you when you're on day 35 and it's a Sunday and somebody, you know, your family asks you, you want to do this or your kid's event, 
it's really impressive to get out there every day. And that's yes. the kind of work that's going to take to win some of these races. Yes, it is. I mean, it's not something we can just take advantage of our base. Um, you know, it's it's talking to every individual on the spectrum of, you know, I had very, you know, right-wing Republicans that I spoke to. And granted, I didn't get their votes. But having that conversation of saying, like, hey, we do agree on a lot of things. Healthcare is really important. And you shouldn't have to file for bankruptcy in order to cover your bills. I mean, those are just conversations we as Democrats need to have. Um, I don't think we should be scared of going in the rural parts of our, our state and yep. having these tough conversations. And here's here's the issue, I think, because there's this idea that to go to purple at best areas, mm -hmm. right, probably light red, right, right? Uh, depending, some of it's dark red, but yep. the whole thing is hopefully light red and therefore winnable, uh, that you actually... There's an idea to move to the center, but the problem is a center Democratic healthcare position says, expresses sympathy yes. that people can't afford their health care, but doesn't actually do anything substantial about it. I agree. And it seems like it's more compelling, and we think our member Julie Henze showed this, where she almost won that state Senate race um, against uh, uh, Dan uh, Koinga, uh, it is literally that it's better to offer them something real. Exactly. And I think this time around... I understand that the messaging needs to be different. And, you know, so I'm trying to work with uh, my campaign manager and trying to figure out what do we what are we going to say about healthcare? What am I going to stand for instead of just sympathizing That's with right. individuals? What am I actually going to suggest that we need to implement? Um, and so healthcare is there, education is there, infrastructure. Um, you know, they want to know how are things going to get paid for on the Republican side, they want to know how, what's the bottom cost. And if I come to them and I say, listen, this is what I believe in healthcare. We're going to expand it. This is how it's going to be paid for X, Y, and Z. Then they're going to have a, a lot harder time not wanting to vote for me. Um, than voting for Dan, who's just against everything. And, and I would say that to our, our friends on the far left, not by, not to make them extremists because I'm on the far left. Uh, for example, the Medicare for All bills, the Bernie Sanders and the Pramila Jayapal bill, which we are working to get people to co-sponsor, don't have a pay for. And we have to understand the reason they did that is because it would be a huge tax, right? Now, the tax yes. would be less than what premiums are. But in an area like you, you're in, it's pretty darn hard to make that kind of argument. There is a paid for Medicare for All bill. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the Congress, but you've hardly ever heard of it. It's by Rosa DeLora. So we do need to start thinking about not just what do we want and what do we want to avoid, but what do we need to win this kind of district? Because we need to hold this kind of district. And I, I do want to hear also about uh, where uh, Canoodle, is that you pronounce it? Canoodle. Canoodle. I have a feeling that his ancestors might have been nodal, but they decided it sounded like noodle, so they started doing the canoodle, but I could be wrong. <laughs> yes. Ah. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> that nodal. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah, so actually, my he had a, a listening session last week uh, that I attended to. He had two, one in Brown Deer, that's the one I went to, and then one in Germantown. Um, about the budget. And, and so I went there and I took my kids, um, and there was about maybe like 10 or 15 people that attended. Um, and I initially just listened cause I just wanted to hear, he had a PowerPoint presentation about the budget and it was a very biased, 
um, <laughs> really presentation. Was it about it was their but was it about the Republican budget or it was on Tony's budget? Yeah. Okay. His spending spree, yes. he called I it. See. Okay. Um, and and so you know, many individuals there wanted to talk about like, well, we get we have to like they were supporting increasing taxes to pay for roads. Like individuals there were like, we need better roads. We will pay for it. Why are you against the gas tax? And he had no explanation. And um, we had individuals that were worried about the parks. Um, you know, they had a wide spectrum of, of concerns. And, you know, finally he gave me the mic and said, you know, Emily, um, you know, this is Emily Segrist. Would you like to say something? And I said, thanks, Dan. I said, um, my name's Emily. I ran against him this past cycle, and I'm planning to run against him again in 2020, <laughs> which you should have seen his face. Um, he was not very excited. And I said, you know, is there something in Tony Evers' budget that you do agree on, that you think is a good thing? Because at the end of the day, we're trying to make it better for Wisconsinites. It, you're making it so partisan that it's really frustrating for a lot of us that are sitting here listening to you. And he could not think of one good thing about the budget. I said, even education, like you have a problem with putting money back into our school systems? And he couldn't answer that. And I think that is what's wrong and frustrating with many individuals who know enough about politics, but that, sh that makes them not want to be involved because it is so partisan. Yeah. Yeah, I think that you're talking about voters here who, if you just did pure partisanship, they'd vote for Mr. Canodal, yes. right? But Mr. Canodal is simply walking kind of like a lemming along with this caucus. He, In fact, most of the members of that caucus don't really lead at all. They no. just follow this pack. Yep. And so there's this opening because he's got nothing on health care because Robin Voss, the speaker, exactly. has nothing on health care. And because the Republican Party hasn't figured out what their post-ACA is a bad thing uh, positioning is going to be. There's a paradigm shift that hasn't happened yet, and the president's making that worse by announcing that McConnell will have plans McConnell doesn't have, et cetera, et cetera. And even on pre-existing conditions where they were going to run forward and they were going to take care of pre-existing conditions with a bill that was good narrowly but wouldn't actually make it better just doing that, and they still can't pass it in the Senate yet. It hasn't been taken up in the Senate as, oh, by my last check. Right. So you have its opening in that if you actually go in there independently and try to address the actual problems people are experiencing. Right. And that's my goal is is try to be more unifying for individuals and being like, I've I've heard what your concerns are. I have plans to make it better for Wisconsinites and I'm willing to work across the aisle at the end of the day. If we can find some compromising areas, um, you know, to make it better for healthcare, for education, I'm willing to make those compromises just to ensure that my constituents are getting a better fare at this. And Dan is not willing to do that. And he's made that loud and clear. And I think I need to keep hammering what I want to do and how I'll be better and I'm the better choice and how he isn't helping. I think one thing to also ask him, if you agree, I know we're near break, is uh, we can close with this. Uh, can you name one thing he's in disagreement with Robin Voss on? No way. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, <laughs> we are going to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We'll continue with Emily Segrist right after this break. Welcome back. We are talking with Emily Segrist, Citizen Action co-op member and 
soon to be newly announced, re-announced candidate for state assembly, assembly seat 24, which is a north uh, Milwaukee, a little bit of northern Milwaukee, mm-hmm. uh, brown deer and uh, northern suburbs of Milwaukee uh, seat. And uh, we're talking about these suburban seats and seats that have been Republican over the years, uh, but have been trending Democratic and have ha- and and we think we can we can win right in in your seat. So Robert, I know you had a follow up question. No, no, no. I was just going to say trending Democratic in that there are more Democratic voters, not not yet trending very Democratic in terms of actually winning these races. But that's the next step. Well, oh, one second. We won the Robin Vining seat. Yeah, and few. and this yeah. is so it's it's a trend. We almost won Julie Henze. We almost, in fact, it was the closest assembly seat we didn't win, which was in the suburban um, uh, suburbs of Wauwatosa. And Liz Sumner, yes. in an area we hadn't been within 10 points, almost beat Jim Ott, who may also step down. So there's four potential seats right there where we had serious, oh. serious movement. And I got a horrendous <laughs> report back from people at Conservation Lobby Day about Mr. Ott and cli- global climate again. He's a weatherman who apparently doesn't do long-term forecasting. No. no. Uh, retired weather weather Quite person. Ironic. Yes. Um, I don't know if he's an actual meteorologist or someone who reads meteorological reports on TV, what he was, but uh, don't know. But anyway, so and there may, this may not be an either-or question, Emily, but you know, one school of thought could be that, well, I'll give you three, actually. And they may all be true, but I'm witnessing your reactions. Uh, one is, is that there's a natural transition of suburban systems that in, in metro areas, they become gradually more and more like the city. And so the exurbs become more like the regular suburbs and so on and so forth. So in Chicago, it, this started happening maybe 20 years ago, roughly, maybe a little longer, where deep red areas like DuPage County became more and more democratic. And now they have democratic Congress people and things like that. And so it simply is transition. So that'd be one theory of what happened was happening. A second theory as to what's happening could be that this is a temporary Trump thing, that Trump is an outlier and that he is uh, unappealing, especially to suburban women. And a third thing might simply be uh, that this is more permanent because something's happened to the Republican Party. So people who even aren't, aren't part of a transition of Democrats moving in um, are being affected by the fact, not just temporarily by Trump, but by the fact the Republican Party has become so orthodox in its right-wing ideology mm-hmm. it can't address problems. I think it's all of those. You know, it, um, you know I can think of, honestly, specific doors of a, a woman in Mequon who I spoke to um, for like a brief second before she slammed the door in my face because she's just like, I'm not voting this cycle. Like, and I, I don't know what, why that mm-hmm. brought such a reaction to her um, when I knocked on her door. But I thought for me, you know, I think Mequon has been a little more conservative and I think they're in that boat. A lot of women are in that boat where they're like, I don't like Trump. So what do I do? You know, and I think some women stayed home because they couldn't vote for him for many reasons. Um, I also think that a lot of families are moving out um, to Mequon, to Menominee Falls, where I did. I didn't win Menominee Falls, this small part I have of it, but I did 
far better than I thought it was going to do. Um, and I almost think I could flip it, this small portion I have of it. I mm-hmm. think I could flip it this time around because I think it's people are moving out there because, you know, they can't afford some of the areas, but it's a good city, um, good schools, it's safe. And so there's a lot of things that are appealing for younger families, but younger families are a little more progressive than you know, the counterparts of our older families. Um, and so I think all those things played a big role in my 46% that accounted for. Um, I also really got Brown Deer vote to come out and vote. I don't think that that has been a city where people have really, the village has been, that it's been kind of just kind of forgotten. And I really hit that area hard. And I think I really pulled out a lot of people there to come out and vote. Um, And so there's also some areas that have been forgotten that I think really came through for me in that time. Yeah. And I think a lot of what you just talked about, what's happening in your area is happening in other parts, not only of the Milwaukee suburbs, but some other areas of the state, Green Bay. Right. There are things happening in the suburbs up there. Assembly District 88, uh, was created as a gerrymandered and created as a, a safe Republican seat, but has changed. And last cycle was within, I think, four or five points uh, uh, and likely to continue to evolve. So yes. there, th- this is not alone. And and one other thing I want to point out, and this goes back to what we're talking about and the... It- yeah, I mean, we're, we're in the same boat. I think we're seeing some slow change. And I think by providing great candidates who are also willing to put in that work, we're finding more middle ground individuals who are coming out to vote. And I think the same thing's happening in Green Bay. That's the piece I want I want you to talk more about because I think it's also a critical piece that I think like does matter because you mentioned you outperformed Evers. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, a lot of these candidates we talked about before outperformed Evers. We did, yes. And that's because the candidates matter. And um, there's been a lot of work to recruit good candidates, get them trained. I know Emerge, you went through Emerge. Yes. And you all have built networks and are supporting each other. And you're running smart, sophisticated programs in terms of raising more resources, but then running field operations and talking about things that really matter. Right. And I think that that's critical. Right. I think that's, you know, so Emerge... Um, it was Liz Sumner, who was in the 23rd, was next to me, and Chris Ralph, who ran in the 60th. And the three of us went through Emerge, and we worked really well together. Um, you know, we we could strategize on how we were going to do it. But, like, Chris ran a very different race than I did because her district's very rural. Um, you know, there was areas where it's, like, unincorporated. And so how how you work in that, in those districts, is vitally important because – we had, I think, 89 candidates, state assembly candidates who ran for office in 2018 out of 99 Correct. positions. That's like the highest that they have had that they can account for. And a lot of those candidates were amazing. They a lot brought a lot to the table. And honestly, that's why we have Governor Evers, Lieutenant Governor Barnes, um, Sarah Godalewski. That's why we have those... Josh Call, that's mm-hmm. why they won, you know, because yeah. we had boots on the ground that were people got excited about us, but then they realized like that was a bigger representation of what we wanted for the state of Wisconsin. People need to understand in a lot of these areas, if a if if an Emily Segrist or a candidate running for assembly doesn't go out and knock these doors, there there aren't field programs in some of these no, areas. The Democratic aren't. Party doesn't run. For the, both a capacity and a bit of a strategic decision. Um, right. 
doesn't don't hear from people. So when we have really mm. good candidates out talking to people and talking about issues that matter, yes, it it makes a difference and it helps t- uh, candidates up ticket. Yeah, yeah let me just uh, add to that. Um, it's totally underrated what you're talking about affecting the top of the ticket. We were calling it reverse coat strings during the last election. We believe it. Uh, the Democrat Party, as Will Rogers said, is not an organized party, okay? So when we talk about Democrat establishment, I don't mean the head of the, D- the Democratic Party of Wisconsin. In fact, the people who move the money don't have official positions within the Democratic Party. But Democrats as a group, the people who spend the money I'm talking about, uh, which is not the official party, um, literally don't take into that into account in all their calculations. And having candidates who can develop their own grassroots campaigns and supporting them is absolutely critical. And in fact, the only way to match the other side's big money because we're not going to outspend them with infrastructure. We can't. Right. Yeah. No, and you know, between the three of our races, we pulled I pulled fifteen thousand votes, which that district has not seen fifteen thousand. And Liz got seventeen and Chris brought in another ten. I mean, that alone was Tony's win. Um, and Chris isn't going to run again because that district is not winnable. So we, you know, we may lose a few thousand votes because they don't get excited about that down ticket candidate. Um, and how will that play a role? I mean, what we really need to be is more strategic on like, how are we going to make up those lost votes? And I believe candidate recruitment is a critical part of that. It's why we have you on this far out from the election. And it's why we're talking to our listeners because a lot of you, could be running for office, ought to be thinking about, and maybe it's not state assembly, but we right. got to get a lot more serious about folks who uh, thinking about themselves potentially as leaders, thinking about getting the proper training. Mm-hmm. There's Wisconsin Progress. There's Emerge. There's still plenty of time to go get properly trained if you want to run in 2020. Absolutely. We really want people to think about that, and particularly running in areas where, yeah, you know, there may not be a calvary of money coming to support you, but this is democracy, and this is how we rebuild the party and right. win elections. And I'll oh, oh, go that second question. Totally agree with all that. I think you do, Emily, for certain. Absolutely. The other thing is, you, if you're running, have to understand that you're creating that grassroots energy. I think too many candidates run and think the Democrats are coming to the rescue as a cavalry. There ain't no right. cavalry folks. No, and I totally <laughs> agree. So I'll end on where you know I inspired my friend Nick to run for school board in Fond du Lac. He helped me with my campaign, supported it through in 2018. He supported me again, and he ran this past cycle and won on school board in Fond du Lac. And it's awesome to have him in that position yes. because those are those are also things we need to win. And there's another woman who is thinking of running for county board up um, in Appleton Green Bay area who her county supervisor is a very big Trump supporter and has never had like an opponent and she's more progressive and it's exciting to see people contact me and be like okay what do I do how do I file like I want to be there for them I want to support them so they can do the other work we got to take a break we'll be right back here at the battleground of Wisconsin with Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are already talking 2020 elections today. Um, We think they're critical. We think there's a huge opportunity. And we think central to that opportunity is having a great field of candidates running for office uh, in the spring of 2020 for local offices. There'll be a whole fleet of boards and councils and judge sips up and we need folks running but also next fall 
critical state legislative seats, and we want people running for them. And uh, with us today is Emily Segrist. Uh, she is a Citizen Action Co-op member. She ran for state uh, state assembly in 2018, did amazing in a gerrymandered Republican seat, and is back at it. Emily, so you're going to have a big party to kick this off. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about the party, uh, and particularly people who live in the Milwaukee area who might want to attend. But if you don't, Give, make sure you give out information so they go online and donate to you right away. Yes. So I think that's like one of the big reasons why I'm jumping out now is because um, I'm going to need more funds to to make this happen. Yep. Um, I mean, I, I'm not going to outspend my opponent. Um, I just that's just how it goes. But I also need to, I know I need to fundraise more than I can. Um, and with the presidential year and then we're going to have Supreme Court in April uh, for Wisconsin, there's going to be a lot of things going on that that's why I'm kind of jumping in yep. now. Um, I'm going to start doors again this fall. It's hard to believe that it's already Woo-hoo! there, but I know. I'll be there. I'll <laughs> yes. come out one Saturday for you. Thank you. Um, and so, yeah, we have a pre-campaign kickoff May 11th uh, from 4 to 6 p.m. It's a Saturday at Nancy Kaplan's house. Thank you, Nancy. Um, Nancy. And if you're interested, it's at 7759 North River Edge uh, Drive in Glendale. And um, it's really to kind of start things going. Jason Ray, uh, DNC secretary, is going to be our guest speaker. Um, I'm fortunate enough that he lives in my district, and so I have that luxury very but i'm great. very appreciative of him to support my campaign again and if you're interested it's emily segrist for forwi.com my donation link is there for act blue and um you know networking again fundraising again those are things that are going to get my name out there um even in a bigger way i have to pay for those yard signs door cards and all that good stuff yeah, please let's let's pack Nancy's house. Let's get everybody out there yes. from the Milwaukee area. We have tons of co-op members and listeners here in the Milwaukee area, but we also have a lot of listeners uh, who live in other parts of the state. Please reward Emily for being so bold and brave to get out and um, start running so early. Um, send her some money. It's early. We we hopefully you've repl- we're a month after uh, spring elections your yes. wallet has maybe replenished enough to send her <laughs> 50 100 dollars whatever you can do send her 5 send her 10 send her whatever you can do or even say you know what i'll make a commitment to come knock doors with you this fall um, please reach out to her and let's get the campaign supercharged but with that i want us to talk about some topics we can talk more about your campaign no, that's in okay. it but Let's we're chat. really fortunate to have you here. We want to talk about some big things that have been going on because they'll, of course, have 2020 electoral implications. And the first thing I want to talk about is the state budget. Mm. You mentioned you went to Dan's listening sessions. There's been tons of listening sessions all over the state. Um, both legislators have been having them. The Wisconsin uh, Democratic uh, legislators have been having badger care town halls. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony Evers and Mandela Barnes have been having budget listening sessions that have been packed out. And there have been four joint finance committee uh, official public hearings uh, for the, uh, this is the budget writing committee. And this week was the fourth and final in Green Bay. Robert, I know you were able to attend. Um, I think pretty much a lot of the same, uh, same stuff packed out, lots of support for Evers' budget, very little sense of any kind of opposition, Robert. Yeah, very little. There was there was more opposition in Green Bay than there's been, but it was minor. They uh, some kind of Tea Party group came out with coffins uh, <laughs> out front, 
that were supposed to reflect uh, Tony Evers uh, doing this to ta Wisconsin taxpayers being killed by his massive taxes. And you could see that they had taped out the Doyle and put on Evers on the top. So <laughs> we all remember Doyle as, you know, the biggest back tax and spend liberal in, uh, in, in world history, not. And so that was about it. Uh, so in, as usual, public school advocates were out in force, disability rights and aging advocates out in force. Uh, and I mean, really the only kind of conservative messaging was coming from like the county exec of Brown County who wants to build the new state prison, as if we need more state prisons. Mm -hmm. uh, but aside from that, and that's an invited speaker, they have the dignitaries, quote unquote, speak first. And so we got that dignified testimony. Uh, but otherwise, healthcare, 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 education, education, education. And then from our folks at Wisdom, mass incarceration, mass incarceration, mass incarceration. And those were the dominant issue, a little bit of transportation, and all over the map on there. Some uh, clearly conservative people mad that bad roads were damaging their trucks and you couldn't cross-examine them. I was just like, I hope you support the revenue for roads uh, uh, because the, the austerity policies of your party, if you're a Republican, are responsible for the bad roads damaging right. your truck. Right. <laughs> no, and, you know, and, and as you're saying that, you know, someone had, uh, Dan had mentioned about taxing, you know, hybrid cards. Like, well, we're, we're getting some revenue in from taxing the hybrids, you know. And a woman was like, <laughs> You're taxing cars that are trying to be more, you know, yes. environmentally <laughs> friendly. Like, why aren't you looking at, like, the big trucks that are really working on the roads and doing some damage or other or just, you know, and some were in agreement for, like, the gas tax. And it's just funny that that's where Dan's opposition was well what about the we're doing something with the hybrids um you're kind of missing the whole thing right now and does anything priuses are the response yeah. they're damaging the roads yeah. those potholes oh, and we're gonna, and we're gonna make priuses. money off of them like i mean i it's just like for people who don't fully appreciate how bad the roads are i-94 is literally shut down right now northbound i-94 is gridlock you have to get off it started last night they're fixing potholes the potholes are so bad they had to shut down i-94 northbound Overnight, still shut down, gridlock this morning. No way for people from like Racine and Kenosha who come up to work in Milwaukee. It must have been a nightmare. But like, you know, re these are, this is our interstate that right. <laughs> you and had to it, shut down. It, you know, we're spending more money now on the roads than we would have had we just maintained them yeah. and put that money like as it goes. Mm -hmm. So, and that's the other thing is, is the Republican Party views themselves as like, we're, we're tight government. We don't do a lot of spending. Okay, well, we have to spend in order to bring in more revenue. Like, we want our roads to be good so families will come and move into Wisconsin. And we want our roads to be good so companies come in because they want to utilize our state for whatever. I mean, it's really frustrating that when we were telling Dan our concerns, it literally just went in one ear and out the other. Well, this is a, this is a broader point, and I'm glad you brought it up. These joint finance hearings, it's very clear that where the testimony is overwhelmingly in support of the Ebers budget, but is the committee listening? They hold press conferences before each one of these hearings, and they're basically admitting that they're not listening, um, that they don't care. They've already, they've described the people showing up as special interests just because um, ARP or citizen action or wisdom or somebody else might have helped organize them to come, that somehow this individual is a special interest as opposed to the true special interests that um, have been fleecing us for, for, for over a decade. 
Um, so, and they've also they've also tried to attempt. We mentioned this last week. Attempt to describe the expansion of Medicaid as a welfare expansion. These are people working, making eight fifty or less an hour, who need access to health care. So, and by the way, I also stopped by the Oshkosh listening session for Governor Evers, which was entirely packed out. The healthcare section was the biggest. It was like four or five rows in a circle. And I can tell you, just from an organizing standpoint, because this group was radical. I was heartened. I haven't seen anything like this. People from Oshkosh, these are people who, who, who are sick of the for-profit healthcare system, feel like they're being completely manipulated and, and fleeced and losing access to coverage. And of the group of about over 40 in the circle, might have been more than that, uh, there were three citizen action members, so we did not orchestrate it, okay? Right. Uh, so I just sat there and listened, but literally the Evers folks were having trouble dealing with how much they wanted done, to be honest. And so I think uh, Speaker Voss and John Niger and Alberta Darling better be aware this is not something manufactured. The 70% support in the Marquette poll for Bachelor expansion is not manufactured. It's real. People want it. But yet we're probably likely... To potentially have a budget stalemate because they seem dug in. They do. You mentioned earlier on that Dan couldn't mention one thing in the Evers budget that they like that does not speak well for where we're going to have compromise. And right. Tony Evers has been very clear that there are some just drop, you know, he's not negotiating or he's got to have some funding for public schools, Medicaid expansion in order to get the resources to do it. Robert, we're going to talk about this on the back end and dive in just a little bit more on this. Um, we need to talk about, we're concerned that around Medicaid, there may be a backdoor approach because we've there's so much been so much public pressure. Robin Voss even said over the weekend he was open to looking at other ways. Well, one of them is really bad, and the hospital association's floating it. We're going to talk about it after the break. Um, we've talked about it once before on the show. It's a privatization of Medicaid, uh, a version of privatization. Some people call it, it's from Arkansas, or at least a version of it. Um, so we're going to talk more about that because we want to make sure folks know it's absolutely critical that we do not accept this because this would, would be a step backwards to expand Medicaid in a private system. But we'll talk about that after the break. Again, we're Citizen Action. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're joined by Emily Segrist. She is a Citizen Action member and recently or soon to be announced candidate again for the State Assembly. Um, Robert, before the break, I was previewing the notion that the Hospital Association and conservatives uh, as a possible compromise on Medicaid expansion have been increasingly we've been hearing about floating the idea that we would um, have a privatized expansion. Some call it the Arkansas model. Tell our listeners more and tell them why they need to be contacting their legislators next week about why we can't do this. And this is rumblings right now, so it doesn't mean the Republicans have backed down yet, just so folks know. And the other irony, though we should just talk about facts here, is, is that they're trying to use the Affordable Care Act marketplace for private insurance. So bizarrely, all of a sudden, when that was socialism before, now it's a good thing. It's fascinating. They don't really have a solid health care position no, other than being in opposition uh, but here, here's the deal. And the hospital association was pushing it hard. They backed off a little because they get a bunch of money in Tony Evers' budget. But particular elements of the healthcare industry, and it is a 
hospital industry is an industry. It structures a charity as a tax dodge, but to be honest, it functions just like any other industry. To be honest, that's actually a scandal. Uh, are pushing it, including Marshfield Clinics, just so folks know, in the central part of the state, has been lobbying for this. The reason they like a private option, an Arkansas-style option, is because private insurance pays higher rates. Well, of course, that's the problem. Our insurance is too expensive. Our health care is too expensive because the prices are too high and go up dramatically every year, and they're, they're, out, they're out of sight compared to any other country. That's the problem. And so it is the price, you know, Remember, it's the economy stupid. It's the price stupid, okay? So if any Democrat, some of them are interested in this as well until you talk to them about it, well, it's higher rates. Well, guess what? We actually need to deal with price. Uh, and so remember that every time it tells you Badger Care doesn't pay enough, they're going to say anything we want to do on health care doesn't pay them enough unless they, they want to make, keep making the same windfall profits. So here's the problem with it. Arkansas is the only state doing it, and they got a special waiver that no one else will get. Seven other states tried to do it without Arkansas's waiver and have all backed off and stopped doing it because it's unworkable, okay? So here's what it does. Rather than taking the money to expand Badger Care, by the way, we shouldn't even, I want to be honest, say that we're, the Affordable Care Act draws the line is a good idea. It should have been all Badger Care, okay? We did this insurance marketplace thing with the bidding insurance companies, still has insurance companies in the middle, and they're still trying to act like they always acted, okay? They're still denying preventive care. They're still denying claims, okay? This is all still happening, and they, we have to pay them a lot more to do it. It's like the Medicare Advantage scam. Feel free to contact me if you love your Medicare Advantage. We can talk about it. Uh, but here's the thing, right? First of all, unlike a Medicaid, a BadgerCare expansion, which only requires what's called a plan amendment, it's pretty much automatic and can happen right away, this would require an extended negotiation with, wait for it, the Trump administration. Good okay. Times. And they would want other nasty things like work requirements and things like that and forced drug testing. Second, it takes so long, can't do it this budget, no savings this budget. Third, no savings at all because there's a requirement on waivers that they be revenue neutral, so all the extra rates we've been paying in it and all the money for the insurance companies would come out of all the savings that Tony Evers is funding a whole lot of great things on yes. in his budget. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't happen this budget. It takes all the savings. It also uh, screws with low-income people because they have to deal with insurance companies and with a program not designed for people at their income. And so it's just awful. And uh, Tony Evers is adamantly opposed to it. This may blow up this week. We may be breaking news. There's a major statewide reporter who saw, heard Alberta Darling float it this week, and he is calling around and asking all Republicans where they are. So this could actually be, and it's good, they're going to ask Tony Evers. So... This is all, you know, this may blow up this week. Over there. Okay. Cool. So they're telling somebody in the back and they want to make sure it wasn't one of them. Nope, I'm in front here. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. That's Ooh, worth that was hearing. Yeah, so just go ahead. I've got to go throw a bag home. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay, thanks, Brian, for yep. doing that. So it is important if this continues to blow up that folks contact, particularly Democrats, and let them know that this is, it's not okay. It's a step backwards. And just a broader context, just to get out of the state. Um, the reason we're so strongly supportive of expanding Badger Care is that it's an expansion of the public system 
Okay. And it, so that is a step closer towards Medicare for all or an increasingly public system. If we take this money and expand the private system, it is a step backwards. It is a not a step forward, uh, an improvement towards an increasingly public system, which is what we need. And so that this is a very critical fault line. We'll talk more about it in future shows if we need to, particularly if it becomes a political topic over the next week. Uh, another thing to scandalize you, uh, you know, Arkansas doesn't just go to 100% of poverty, where Badger Care ends right now. It goes all the way down to half of it. So this plan could include oh. take, throwing a lot of people currently on Badger Care who are very low income onto private insurance just to pay the insurance companies and the hospitals and the higher-priced doctors. When I say doctors, I don't mean your family physicians. I'm talking about right. the specialists that people who make seven figures, which is an outrageous amount to make if you're supposedly in a caring profession. So... Before we go, we need to talk about Foxconn. More news broke. We had Representative Brostoff on a lot last week because before um, last week's show, we had heard that Governor Evers had come out and said that he wanted to renegotiate and, 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 and basically was admitting reality. Well, since then, it's been quite a week. Uh, over the weekend, Representative Voss basically blew a gasket and was saying all kinds of ridiculous things, accusing Evers of trying to sabotage this, and this is a great deal. We would, not, we, Why would we want to renegotiate this? This is terrible. You're going to destroy business. Well, then we find out later in the week that it wasn't Evers' idea, that Foxconn had actually contacted Evers. Foxconn hasn't had any clarity as to what it is, that they, how they want to renegotiate it. And so... Since now we got Evers and and starting to say, okay, well maybe we'd be open to negotiating. So Emily, question for you: uh, I is, how much, as someone who is in the Milwaukee suburbs, did you hear of Foxconn? Your thoughts on this, and and obviously this is going to be an issue going into twenty twenty. Yes, it is, and you know I did hear it on the campaign trail. Mm -hmm. um, which I don't think should be surprising because we gave a lot of money to this corporation when we could have used it for expanding Badger Care or helping with our schools. Um, and and so there were a lot of individuals who voted for me that were really upset with it. And, you know, Dan did vote for Foxconn. And um, before I decided to run against him, I actually sat down as a constituent with him and had coffee. Um, and I, Foxconn was one of those things where we t discussed. And he said, you know, it was a tough vote, but, you know, I thought, like, it's probably going to help our state. And I think for me that really showed me who he was as a representative, that he really was a party-line individual who was going to follow suit with whatever Speaker Voss would say, um, and that he cannot really think for himself. And and I think that he has proven himself over and over again that, like, at the end of the day, he will vote party-line. And Foxconn has shown to be a terrible mistake. It was not thought out. Um, and, you know, if you're making those kind of decisions, they shouldn't be made in haste. And so we're seeing rep repercussions from it because of how it's been going. Yep. I'm going to actually give a shout out to Tony Evers on this and his rhetorical style. And I'm actually going to walk back some of I've been doing red, red hot populist rhetoric on Foxconn <laughs> since, since the first hearing. And it's this. Okay, look, and I'm going to say this in a civil way. Civil doesn't mean not saying the truth. It means trying to figure out how you bring people in your direction, right? And so, and address people in, a, in the way you'd like them to address you. And, you know, golden rule, literally. 
that I do think it was a political deal by Donald Trump and Scott Walker. I do think that. And there's evidence that Scott Walker got the deal by writing a, p a number on a piece of paper and handing it over to, to the CEO of Foxconn. Okay? And so, and, and, uh, but since then, that happened. There was a contract. Okay? So at this point, even though I think it was a very bad investment, which we've talked about a lot in Battleground Wisconsin, there is a contract. Okay? Yes. And so most voters simply want you to try to make the best of it, okay? Right. So the first, when it's clearly not going to be the same project, and there are clear red flags we've talked about in Battleground, Wisconsin, all Voss and Fitzgerald want to do is blame Evers right away and say he changed the economic climate, et cetera, et cetera. Pure partisan stuff, right? And then attack him for wanting to renegotiate the deal when clearly they're building a different plant than they promised and it's going to be fewer jobs, clearly to me anyway, but we can have a discussion about that. And then when it finds out Foxconn asked to open the contract, then backing down. And so what Speaker Voss is saying, and I'm trying not to be vitriolic about this, is if Foxconn wants to renegotiate, that's fine. That's okay. If the governor of the state of Wisconsin wants to, it's horrible and awful, I'm going to blow him up. So just pause and think about that. I'd like to have a discussion. Foxconn can do no, no wrong, a multinational corporation that has no interest in Wisconsin other than profit. It's in China. And the governor, even if it wasn't, right? Let's talk about corporations. I don't want to be xenophobic about it, right? Corporation, wherever it is, is interested in profit, not the interest of the state of Wisconsin, okay? So now we, we can renegotiate it. Most economic development expert thinks it's a bad deal. Guess what? That's an opportunity to get a better deal and to get transparency for the public as to what the deal actually is and right. make a decision. Yes. It might still be better to pull the plug. So Tony Evers has laid all of this open, has not taken a strong partisanized position. He is perfectly positioned to try to make this work in the interest of the state of Wisconsin because of the way he's handled things. I'd love to give you a response, <laughs> but Robert took all the time there. We got to wrap up this battleground, Wisconsin. Emily, we really appreciate so much. Thanks for having so me on. It was so much you fun. You joining us and really want to thank you for being a leader. Uh, uh, seriously, a, a real leader, someone who doesn't come out of a lot of political stuff, but was inspired by Bernie Sanders, decided to run, and you're back at it. So thank you so much. And folks, get out to her event Saturday, May 11th. Thank, thank you, you, Emily. Again, we want to thank Brian Woldridge, who makes this show happen every week. This is the Battleground Wisconsin Citizen Action. We'll see you next week.